No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me, on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. As our rural Canadian communities grapple with conflicting views about gender identity and the right to live freely as authentic people and simply exist, if we take a step back, often conversations around periods and menstruation along gender lines and generations can be strained and awkward at best. Why is this? Why does the very mention of the word period, make people uncomfortable, including those of us who menstruate? Why has the onus fallen on typically woman-identifying members of families to educate and often gatekeep those conversations? And if we can't even have the conversation, how can we ensure rural menstruators get the products they need? When I was in Whitehorse, Yukon recently, attending the Equal Futures Summit, I met two incredible women doing work around menstrual and healthcare equity. Zeba Khan founded Free Periods Canada in 2016, a grassroots nonprofit based in Western Canada. But the organization started out as a university club, and Zeba explains how that happened. Zeba grew up in Bangladesh and relocated to Canada in 2015 as an international student. She is a staunch believer in equal access to health care for all, and she advocates for free access to menstruation care supplies. Her dedication to advocating for menstrual and health care equity has earned her the 2021 BC Community Achievement Award, the 2019 Diana Award, 
as well as the International Community Achievement Award by University of British Columbia four times in a row. Nikki Ovese is the Associate Director of Free Periods Canada Foundation and has worked tirelessly to promote menstrual equity and address period poverty in the country. Nikki's participation in the menstrual equity movement gave her the power to celebrate menstruation and disrupt barriers surrounding cultural stigma and menstruation in her own community. She is also a pharmaceutical sciences PhD candidate in the University of British Columbia, using both qualitative and quantitative data to explore the impact of cancer treatments on the psychosocial, sexual, and reproductive outcomes of adolescent and young adult cancer patients. I spoke with these two women about their work. What is Free Periods Canada? What do you do and how did it begin? Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Free Periods Canada is a grassroots nonprofit organization right now. And our mandate, our goal is to really make sure that anybody who needs access to menstrual supplies has access to them when and wherever they need it. We are currently a nonprofit, but we didn't start out that way. We actually began as a, a student club at the University of British Columbia in 2016. So essentially the way it started is I saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> um, I was scrolling mindlessly on YouTube and I came across this video about uh, folks in the States that are unable to access menstrual supplies and the things that they have to do to be able to manage their periods. And that made me really, really angry. Um, I was about 18 at that time and I was a rebellious teenager. I had just moved from Bangladesh to Canada, so I was in that phase where I felt like I could do anything. Um, so I felt like I could make a difference after seeing that video, and I reached out to some of my friends, and I asked them if they would take me to Walmart. I didn't have a car. I couldn't drive, so I had to ask someone to drive me to the nearest Walmart. Uh, we got some pads and tampons, and then we started contacting um, shelters around Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, um, and we started distributing uh, supplies. And it kind of continue to build from there onward. Once uh, other friends found out, Nikki was one of them, the f one of the first people to join the work that um, I had started. Um, when my other friends found out, they were very, very much, very interested to contribute in some way. Um, and so we started doing these period packing parties every month every two months would come together and put little care packages and then go out and distribute it so that's how it started uh, but right now we have uh, grown quite a bit we're now a nonprofit, focusing a lot more on the strategic side of things but yeah that's a little bit about how we got started and Nikki how did you get involved and what inspired you to be part of it so I think that a part of 
my inclination to get involved in the beginning is of course my own experiences being a menstruator I was raised in a household where you know we never really spoke about these things so that component of the stigma was something that was so interesting to me and recognizing that the menstrual inequities that we see are so deeply entrenched in the system because of the stigma was a big reason as to why I wanted to join to begin with um also you're doing a lot of self-discovery at that age so I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was in a bachelor's in biology, which is very different from the kind of work that I do now. And it's very interesting to see that something that's a club, that is something you're engaging in a couple hours a week, ends up completely changing the trajectory of your both like your thinking, your lifelong experiences, but also your career, which is, you know, we're here at a conference today. So I think that's a little bit about my journey involved in this. Why do people have such a problem saying the word period? I think it's easier for me to explain it with a story. So I grew up in Bangladesh. And when I got my first period, I was actually very close to my elder brother. um, And I wanted to tell him. I was just excited. And my first thought was, I remember I came back from school. I got my first period. I told my mom. And then I was going to go and tell my brother because I thought it's so cool. You know, I'm like becoming a woman now. And it was just so exciting. But my mom told me that you can't tell him. And I didn't really ask why. She just told me that you can't tell your brothers about it. You can't talk to your dad about it. Uh, you just can't. When you get your period, come to me. I'll have pads and tampons for you. Um, and that's just it. And that's, that's just the culture. That's just how it was. So when you're really young and this is kind of the norm that's set for you. Um, and my mom was only sharing the knowledge that she had, the knowledge that, you know, the the culture that she grew up in, right? When that's the norm that is set at a young age, you learn to not talk about it, right? So I would say that that's probably where some of the stigma um, about the word period comes from. I'd also like to add in that the same story I think has the impact on the reverse on the non-menstruator for example so when you think about it from your brother's perspective he didn't get to hear that story from you and there's probably many other uh, menstruators in his life who had that same experience where they didn't come and speak to him about it so then he gets this discomfort over his lifetime and doesn't want to talk about it because he was just not involved in those conversations and we see this happening in parallel for example in schools when we're splitting uh, students up by sex and then teaching about menstruation and sexual reproductive health that way so the folks who are you know traditionally viewed as the non-menstruators they're not going to get that exposure and that discomfort gets entrenched. So I think it goes in both directions, which is an unfortunate way of how the system's built. Yeah, and also to um, share, guess who my biggest supporter is right now? My brother. (laughs) So once I became comfortable talking about it, um, I started, I just started talking about it all the time and they just, they had to get comfortable with it and they, they really are. Um, and they are so proud of the work that we do at Free Periods Canada. They're like our biggest champions. Not And not just my brother, even like my uncles who are from a completely different generation. Um, they have learned to become comfortable talking about it as well. So that's the big thing, I think, right, is that discomfort. Mm-hmm. Turning a switch 
slowly, like almost a knob where you're, okay, let's make it less uncomfortable by actually addressing it and talking Mm -hmm. about the elephant in the room. Exactly. So men can actually, or Mm non-menstruators can actually participate in the joy of it actually being a celebration rather than, Mm -hmm. quote, a curse. That we are often brought up to think that it is. Like, people in my generation, that's what we called it. Mm-hmm. And what a horrible way to think of something mm-hmm. that's such a gift. Yeah. This is this podcast is for a rural and remote audience. So what message do you have for folks uh, during these troubling times? Um, maybe about an, what's the urgency? What should they urgently be doing or thinking about now? I would say that... Something is better than nothing. So folks that are living in uh, rural areas, they are the experts of their own communities. They know what would work best. Um, My message to them would be to do something, to take an action. And kind of reflecting on the work that we've done and the journey that we've been on, I honestly had no idea that I would still be working in the menstrual equity space. For me, it was very much like, oh, it's like a one-time thing. I'll just, you know, buy some pads and tampons, give it to them, and call it a day, right? But that kind of, it it continued to build on from that one little step that I took. Um, So that's one thing. The other thing I also want to talk about is that if folks that are in the advocacy or activists uh, activism space it can be very isolating and i can only imagine how hard it is if you are in a rural community um, to feel inspired to continue to do something right um i would say that reach out um you know to folks that are working maybe outside your local community as well for us in at free periods canada I have found some of my lifelong friends, Nikki being one of them, through the work that I started doing. Um, And we've also built out a digital community of activists. Um, It's a platform called Charms, where our focus is to connect folks that are working in advocacy work in the reproductive health space in general um, and support them in whatever way they need to do the wonderful work um, in their communities. When will your work be complete one thing that we have come to realize over the years is the issues that we're trying to tackle are on a systems level so every space that we go in that we're trying to do this advocacy many times it's very intergenerational the stigma that we're trying to unravel so i think that we have as an organization moved away a little bit from the more band-aid type solutions of you know providing menstrual supplies, which of course is still very necessary, needs to be done. But we're trying to focus more on that root cause of the issue to begin with. So that stigma, that lack of comprehensive and accessible and inclusive education of menstrual equity, health and sustainability in schools. So I don't know if our work will ever be truly over. Um, I think that, you know, these issues are so complex that they probably will require many, many years of advocacy to completely unravel. But I think that if we start focusing more on that root cause and trying to tackle 
menstrual inequities through that lens, we can hopefully get there faster and make it more of an intergenerational rollout as opposed to a Band-Aid solution. One thing I want to um, address is a lot of rural and remote spaces are white. And so what you're speaking about, those systemic issues, Mm -hmm. are even more entrenched in some of those communities. So what's your advice Mm -hmm. uh, to someone who is in a rural and remote community, perhaps somebody like yourself, a university student when when they're starting out, or even high school, and they want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. They want to make a change in their high school, in their community center, what would you um, suggest they do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a lot of um, the work that we do, we really, really emphasize on collaborations and partnerships. Um, and I, I truly believe that that's the only way you, we could uh, make a make an impact. Um, and so if someone were to start out and they don't quite know how to get started, I would first... Um, I would first encourage them to talk to other folks that have been in that position. And it is, it is easier to um, access some or, or listen to some of those voices through, you know, digital, through the power of, you know, digital media um, and also like tune into events um, virtually. So I would suggest I'd encourage that they start there, start to uh, understand or listen to the stories of other people. Um, and then from there onward, um, I would hope that it would encourage them to widen their perspectives um, and also inspire them to take action. For anyone listening that is not someone who would use menstrual products, what would you like them to be more cognizant of? What conversations do you want them to participate in? I would say that, firstly, to recognize that even though that individual may not be the one menstruating, they have people in their lives that probably are. Um, in our work, we have come across uh, fathers that are that are single parents and have a teenage uh, daughter who is menstruating and are now uh, facing the uh, the wonderful challenge of having to uh, make or having to talk about it or having to make menstrual supplies accessible uh, to their children. So um, I would say that recognizing that even though s- it may seem like it is uh, it is a problem for folks that are just menstruating, it is not. Everybody needs to be a part of that conversation. And wherever possible, I would encourage those folks uh, that are not menstruating to be allies, um, to support the work of other folks, as well as uh, participate in any form that they're comfortable with. And it could be just it could be as simple as listening to this um, episode. <laughs> I also would like to add, I think this addresses both questions that were asked. First off, in terms of in rural areas, how to make change and then recognizing the role of non-menstruators in this space. So I think that we need to be cognizant that so many of the folks who are the gatekeepers to this change are the non-menstruators. And I think that is probably even more apparent in a rural area. I think if there is someone who is listening who is a non-menstruator or, you know, you know someone who's a non-menstruator who is in that position of that gatekeeping, if you can get one of those individuals to listen 
that could make so much change and it's about having the right toolkits the right resources which Ziba alluded to in terms of finding that online but finding that person is going to make worlds of a difference especially in a rural area is there anything else that you want people to know that we haven't talked about yeah um, I think we talked a little bit about you know how do you get started like what are some of the things folks can do if they're interested in contributing to um, the space or to this work um, we have been working really hard to help other folks that want to join the movement or want to be a part of the menstrual equity work um, and some of the ways we've been doing it is by creating toolkits creating resources they are all hosted on a platform called Char Charms that I referred to earlier. Um, it is free to access, um, and we are working really hard to make it more accessible. We understand that you know a platform joining a platform is not as easy as it seems like. Um, so we are really we're trying to make it more accessible. Um, however, I would I I wanted to share that there are little toolkits here and there uh, that could help somebody get the ball rolling. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Uh, and thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today live at this amazing event. Um, all the best to you. And um, we will put in the show notes how people can um, find out more about charms and getting in touch with you. So thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 